Well, welcome to all of you who are online as well as all of you who are here today. Um, today, we're going to be looking at why it matters that Jesus had no beginning and no end. And then we're going to also look at a surprising finding from a major study that shows that there is a significant difference between people who spend time engaged in Scripture four times a week or more than those who spend time in Scripture three times a week. And then we're going to see uh, what Jesus said to some religious leaders that got them to reach down, grab some stones, and try to kill them right there on the spot. But first we're going to pray, and then we're going to hear our scripture read by some of our five ochres. So please join me in prayer. This is from Galatians 4, the prayer of illumination. Heavenly Father, you alone are sovereign. Though your plans and your purposes are beyond our understanding, we can trust in your provision and have faith in your perfect timing. Your word tells us that when the time had fully come, you sent your son to be our redemption. You knew our need, and, our pl and your plan unfolded precisely as it should have. Guide us by your spirit as we look to your word. Teach us to look to you and to rely on you as we trust in the truth of your word and the fulfillment of your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. All right, so today we're in our second week of our series on the Gospel of John, chapter 1, portions of that passage, and the series is called Beyond the Manger, because we need to think beyond Christmas, but without missing Christmas. So let's watch a review of where we were in the series, what we covered last week, and then we'll pick up from there live again. Let's watch the video. We're entering our first COVID winter. Winter threatens to plunge us into the darkness of despair, or at the very least, it threatens to make us just weary and stagnant in our journey with God. Christmas might postpone the darkness for some, for people who just love everything about this season, but the winter beyond Christmas still looms large over our lives. This whole series is focused on answering this very important question. What if Christmas was the beginning of a journey this winter, taking us deeper into the light of Christ, a light which the darkness of a COVID winter is unable to overcome? John's Gospel tells us that in the first chapter. The opening of John's Gospel is his unique take on the Christmas story. There's no manger and there's no baby Jesus in John's Gospel. But he does remind us that when Jesus came into the world on that first Christmas, he came as a light into a dark world. That's why Christmas can be the beginning of a great journey this winter. If we look beyond the manger to the Christ of Christmas, he's the light giver. He's the life giver. 
who overcomes the darkness. So, in order for Christmas to be the beginning of a great journey this winter, instead of just a, a short postponement of, of gloom and stagnation, we need to look beyond the manger at six attributes of Christ that overcome the darkness. That's what we're doing in this series, one attribute per week. And so last week, we looked at that first attribute of Christ that overcomes the darkness from John chapter 1. So here was the first. Christ is the logos, which means in the English translation of that word, word. Christ is the word. Now, if you missed last week, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But here it is. It's a good review for all of us because this is a packed term. There's probably no more loaded term, in fact, in the first century among Jews and Greeks alike than the term logos. When John uses the term, he's saying that the cause of everything there is, the cause of the universe and everything in it, he's saying the reason why everything exists, the power that created the entire universe, and the principle from which we derive all wisdom and goodness and beauty that, that we can experience and that we have, all that was contained in one personal and spiritual being who was alive at the beginning of everything but now has taken on flesh. That means the ultimate power and principle behind the universe is personal. He speaks to you and he speaks on your behalf. That's the first attribute. It's loaded with significance for our first COVID winter because it invites us to relate to God all day, every day, every winter day to relate to God. We're invited to relate personally to God. But since Lagos is understood also as the Bible, the word of God, Jesus as the Lagos means God invites us to dive deep into his word so we can know him. And since the Lagos also is used to describe the powerful creating and acting voice of God, when God works, he speaks it into reality in scripture. Prayer is asking God to speak, to make it so. I didn't share this last week because I just came across it in the last few days, but the Center for Bible Engagement performed a huge study of about 400,000 people and explored Bible engagement in North America. They analyzed the data and they found what they call the power of four. Here's what they mean. They found that spending time in the Bible one, two, or three times a week has a small effect on key areas of our lives. But as soon as people are reading scripture at least four times a week, there's a spike in the positive effect. Um, the, the positive effect that it has of helping people deal with really difficult times. I, I don't know you can say that there is a cause and effect, that if you read four days, this happens, but this is a really important correlation. And here's the effect, it's really stunning. Compared to those who spend time in the Bible less than four days a week, in the people who spend time in scripture four days a week or more, feelings of loneliness drop 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Relational issues, especially in marriage, drop 40%. Pornography and sexual sins drop 62%. And feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. It's important to remember, this isn't 100%. It's not a magic pill. And it can't be an empty ritual of just going through the motions of reading scripture every day. But it's significant. And if you're still struggling with any of those issues, it is better with daily time with God, no matter the results. Anyway, that's why they call it the power of four. 
It's a pretty amazing and, uh, thing and hopefully inspiring to you. All right, so the second attribute of Christ is the one that we're going to focus on today, and it is that Christ is pre-existent. That's today's focus. He predated his birth in the manger, not by nine months. He predated his birth in the manger by billions and billions of years. And even to say billions of years is an understatement and really doesn't capture it because Really, he has no beginning, and he has no end, according to Scripture. So last week, I introduced you to a book called Emblems of an Infinite King. I was going to include the name in the uh, sermon application guide, and I forgot. But you can write it down, (laughs) Emblems of the Infinite King, because I'm recommending that everybody get this for Christmas. This is going to be kind of a guidebook. I'm going to have an assignment every week from this for our uh, first series of 2021. And so it is a systematic theology that's written for 10 years and older. And so it's going to go over the major topics that we need to know about God. It's going to be an unfolding of who God is, an unlocking of who God is. And we'll be also doing readings from it. They actually have it online. They have a podcast on YouTube. And so I want to show you one little bit that addresses the pre-existence of Christ right now. Let's watch. Before the world began. Just think about how his story starts. What happens when you think about the sun's beginning? Do visions of shepherds, angels, wise men, and mangers fill your head? If so, you have to think bigger. His story is bigger than Christmas. In fact, it's too big to have a start at all. The death killer has always been He didn't begin that night outside an ancient inn in Bethlehem. He didn't even begin before that. No, he was and is and will be eternally with the Father and the Spirit because he is God. He is the divine son, one of the who's in the three-in-one God. He has always existed because existing is who God is and what God does. So the pre-existence of Christ, the idea that he always existed, feels overwhelming to you um, and very distant. Next week, we're going to talk about that pre-existent Christ becoming flesh, which is called the incarnation in Christian theology. And I, think, I hope that will, will help bring it a little bit down more to our level and something we can connect with even more. But if you think pre-existence of Christ Uh, sounds irrelevant to whatever you're experiencing right now, I want you to hold on uh, because here's where we're going as we look at the preexistence of Christ. First, we're going to see how the Bible teaches the preexistence of Christ. Jesus affirms his own preexistence. It'll be a quick overview. It's everywhere in the New Testament. We're going to only look at a couple of passages rather quickly. And second, we're going to peek into the infinite past and the infinite mysteries of Christ before the manger, before the incarnation. We're going to look, go way back. What was he doing? What was he up to? And again, we're only going to touch on what was Jesus up to back then. And then, thirdly, we're going to look at what all of this means to us because it has major implications for us and for our journey this winter beyond Christmas. 
So let's start with what the Bible teaches, first of all. What does the Bible teach about his pre-existence? Again, I said it's everywhere. It's certainly hard to read John's gospel, the very first chapter, the opening words, without noticing that John goes out of his way to make the point that Jesus existed all the way back in eternity past, in the infinite past. The opening words make it clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That makes it pretty existence, that he not only pre-existed, but that he also is divine. He is God. He is God the Son. Now, we could go to dozens of passages that show his, passages that show his pre-existence, but I want to take you just to one story from John's Gospel. So it's an exchange between religious leaders uh, in John's day and Jesus, and it's not a, a friendly exchange between them. They're questioning his authority. They're questioning who he is. And he speaks to his own preexistence and his own divinity, and he affirms it by using the actual name of God, God's name, in reference to himself. Again, if you're new to the Bible, the reality is that you may not be aware that God has a name. He has an actual name. Jesus tells the religious leaders in John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now that statement might seem a little bit strange. Why doesn't he say, before Abraham was, I was? (laughs) Or why doesn't he say, before Abraham was, I already existed? It means that. When he says, before Abraham was, I am, means before Abraham was, I already existed. But why does he say it this way? He says it because I am is the name of God. It is his name. It's his proper name. It's his actual name. And Jesus does this kind of thing a lot where he will be talking about something and he'll use a word or a phrase or even the very thing that he's talking about so that it has more than one meaning. And the people that are listening to him pick it up. That's how we know that he's using that meaning. So it goes back to Exodus chapter 3. Moses is at the burning bush. And God comes and speaks to him and calls him to go to his people in Egypt and to tell them we're going to leave and to tell Pharaoh, let me, let my people go. Okay, so this is the exchange between Moses and God. So Moses said to God, after he tells him to do this, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? (laughs) Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me. You know, the Israelites are like, you know, all the gods, they have names. In fact, the Israelites, we know from later beyond Exodus, their homes were filled with idols of gods with names. They had fallen that far away from God. They carried their idols with them when God brought the plagues and they left. They carried their idols with them. But here's, here's how it works. Um, I am in Hebrew looks like that, which is transliterated into English as Yahweh, which in your Bible comes across as Lord. Now, how do you know when I am is being talked about in your Bible? 
in, in, in your English Bible, it's because it's small caps. So L is larger than the other caps. Every single time you see that in your, in your Old Testament, it is referring to this right there, that name right there, which basically means I am. So the leaders Jesus is talking to get what he is saying. You may go, well, isn't that... They get what he's saying. They absolutely get what he's saying, that he is preexistent, that he is God. And you know it because of what happens next in the gospel of John. So it reads, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. At this, at the claim he was making was blasphemy. The punishment for blasphemy uh, was to be stoned to death for stones to be thrown onto, onto you until you fall down and you're killed by those stones. What was Christ doing before the manger? Well, the simplest answer is that as one of the persons of the Trinity, he was God creating the universe. He was there calling Abraham. He was there rescuing Joseph. He was there calling Moses. He was there splitting the Red Sea and on and on. Whatever you read happening throughout the Old Testament, Jesus was involved in that. But specifically, as the Son, as God the Son, was there something that he was doing specifically? Well, he was the rock that provided water for the Israelites in the wilderness. Paul tells us that in one of his letters in the New Testament. And some think he may have been the angel of the Lord that shows up from time to time in the Old Testament. It's debatable. It may not be the case, but that is, um, that is what a lot of people uh, believe. I think, did I miss... Um, Something. Was there another slide before this one that I missed? Yeah. Anyways, as a second per person in the Trinity, there was even more than that. He had a special role in the creation of the universe. Jesus tells us that he was eternally glorifying God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, which basically means he was delighting in them and sharing in the mutual love that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had for each other. So what difference does this make for us? More specifically, how does it make a difference for us as we enter the post-Christmas COVID winter? Well, the first thing is you are included in the orbit of Christ's infinite love. So John 5, 17, 5, he speaks of that, that orbit of love. And now, Father, this is his, in Jesus what's oftentimes called his high priestly prayer, He's gathered with his disciples. It's before the Last Supper, and he has this, this long prayer that he prays. And he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. There's his preexistence. But it's not just that he was there. It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delighting in each other. The, the way that, that it's often been described, it's almost like these, this perfect dance or this perfect... Um, orbiting of three persons in one around each other, loving and delighting in each other. When humanity was created, God was inviting humanity into that orbit. Not to be a God, but into the orbit of that love. And so you are included in that orbit. That's, that's part of it. It's, it's seeing beyond our present circumstances and realizing that we have, through Christ, been invited into an orbit, the orbit of God's love 
within himself. Second, what difference does it make? You have a purpose, even in difficult times. Because Christ was making plans for you, even in the infinite past. He was thinking about you. He had you in mind. He was making plans for you in the infinite past. Think about that. A key passage for this is Ephesians chapter uh, 1, beginning in verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. All right? So here's what's happening in eternity past. Now, there's some some pretty heavy ideas in here, but just get the, the picture that our purpose comes from God's plans for us in eternity past. So he, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. For what purpose? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, again, in eternity past, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. He uses sonship specifically because it's talking about we are all male and female firstborn sons who get the full inheritance. That's the idea there. Through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, for what purpose? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. There's some mysteries uh, mixed up in that passage there that are all in there that are maybe a little difficult to understand, but what's clear is that you... As a child of God, we're in God's plans. He was planning you in the infinite past. You have a purpose even in difficult times. And here's the third implication. Your good and glorious infinite future impacts your finite now. Here's here's what I mean. In verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until... All right, let's stop there for a moment. When you become a follower of Jesus, God gives you his Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit comes to abide in you. And it is like a seal that is not going to be broken because it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until this future redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's our future, and it's guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit. So your good and glorious infinite future can impact you right now. Last, uh, last year I was having, so I went through a period of some insomnia, not really bad insomnia, but bad enough that I would wake up during the night and not be able to fall back asleep. And this was going on kind of night after night. I'd I'd eventually get back to sleep. But what happens, and I've talked to other people, I think most of us have this experience, is you don't usually wake up in the middle of the night, lie there, uh, not being able to sleep, and have wonderful thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, it's usually dark thoughts. It's a replaying of conversations. Going, oh, did I really say that? Uh, it's, it's the unanswered email <laughs> that, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, I was going to get to that like a week ago. Uh, and, and it just, it's this oppressive negativity that just seems to set in, at least for me, if not for all of you, 
uh, when I'm awake at night. And so I did this little Jedi mind trick, and I would... I decided, one day I, I thought of this, and I'm, I'm just going to do this. And so I started thinking about our favorite vacation spot. And uh, through the uh, blessing and generosity of, of my cousin, who's like a brother to me, he has a condo that we are able to go to that's on the ocean. And so I started imagining being there. We've been there so many times that I can, you know, just see everything. And I'm just, I'm waking up in the morning. And I get up, and I go to the balcony, and I look at the ocean, and I can hear the ocean. And then I thought of going and getting on the elevator, going down, and walking over to a Starbucks and getting my coffee. And I just imagine, I'm, I'm in my mind in the middle of the night just thinking about walking among the palm trees and going along and getting my coffee, getting my coffee at Starbucks, and then walking, and Lois's coffee, and walking back to the condominium. And so, um, at about, at some point, either on the way to get coffee or on the way back, I'm snoring. <laughs> I'm asleep. And uh, that's how it would work. It, it actually worked. Now, uh, uh, that, of course, probably wouldn't work with some really serious bout of insomnia. I just needed something to get my mind away from those an analyzing all my conversations and picking apart worries about the people that I love. And of course, that imagining is very concrete because I've been there so many times that I can imagine the trees and the grass and the smells and all of that. But while what Paul describes in Ephesians um, 1 isn't concrete, as concrete and as visceral for me, the return of Christ and the new creation are way better, way better than oceans, palm trees, and Starbucks coffee. <laughs> way, way better. And as I give God a chance to renew my mind in his word by meditating on his word, that vision of my infinite future becomes more and more real, and it impacts my finite now. That's what the pre-existence, that Christ has no beginning and no end, has incredible implications for our lives now and for this COVID winter. My hope is that you're all going to enjoy this Advent season, that uh, Advent begins today. And I hope and pray that Christmas will be very special for you this year. And I hope and pray that the realities of God beyond the manger will capture your imagination and take you into winter. So I'm, I'm asking you, will you commit? Will you commit to make Christ a part of your everyday life? Will you commit to spend time in God's Word, maybe more time than you ever have in your life? And if you don't understand it, maybe it's time to take the story of God course this winter or to take it again because you weren't paying attention the last time. <laughs> Pray like never before. Call on God to act to speak on your behalf for his glory by the power of his spoken word, his voice, the word, his voice that creates and sustains the universe. And by middle of February, just imagine yourself waking up in the morning, not among palm trees necessarily, but waking up and going and getting your coffee and going to your favorite chair and spending precious time with God in his word and in prayer. That's how you take it. 
That's how you take beyond the manger. That's how you take the realities of Christ beyond the manger into this COVID winter.